Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Anybody know what verse we're starting with this morning? 17. Why are we starting with verse 17? Because we ended on 16. That seems that's simple, isn't it? So simple. I like simple. It says something about your pastor, doesn't it? Romans 2, 17 to 24. We're continuing with the theme of judgment, or Paul is. We're just talking about what he's talking about. And God's word sets the, sets the sermon. I don't set the sermon. I discover the sermon that comes from the text. And, and so that's what we do here. So stand with me as we acknowledge there is a long-fought battle within the church of God, believe it or not, that says this, all of it, is the inspired Word of God. It just does not record true things about God. It is the very Word of God. Amen. And, uh, and so, let us hear from the Lord today. Romans chapter 2, verse 17 says, But if you call yourself a Jew... And rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are God to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, it is easy for us to come to this word and say, oh, this is speaking to the Jews, God. So you're not talking to us today. And what an what a error we would make if we embrace that mindset. So God, help us today. As those who offer a profession that we are followers of Jesus Christ, let us hear from your word today. For this text speaks right into the life of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. And so there is a principle. If you remember, there are three bases for judgment that's coming. Not salvation. Remember, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But for judgment, talking about judgment in the present, he has talked about that. Now he's talking about judgment in the future. And he says there's three bases for that. If you remember, the first one is truth, the second one is works, and the third is knowledge. Knowledge, that's what we're talking about the last couple weeks. And we said there is a principle the principle is the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. So say that with me. The greater the light, the greater the responsibility. And so what he's doing is teasing that out for us a little bit more today. But just a question. 
If you ever talk to some of the new atheists or people that's around that, that, um, that don't believe in God at all, and they use an argument that religion is dangerous. You ever heard that said? Religion is dangerous. It, here's a question for us as Christians. We, we dare not make the silly argument that Christianity is not a religion. Of course it is. It answers all the questions that religions are supposed to answer. It's not merely a religion, but it is a religion. <laughs> so don't get sucked into that. I've seen people paint themselves into a corner. But is religion dangerous? It's a lot of conversation you can have, maybe in your growth groups with that question. But it is dangerous. And I would agree it's dangerous when one embraces something externally superficially that isn't true internally because one can justify nearly anything and so it is easy up to this point to hear the Jews saying man Paul you get them these pagans are a mess these pagans have messed up everything they've messed up our world they've messed up our culture this world's a mess I mean divorce is rampant sexual confusion I mean, and just look at the politicians. Schools can't keep up. They're struggling. Crime, disease, prostitution. We've got a gambling joint right down the road. Breeding all of these things and these vices. They're just exploding. You tell them. It's time for God to judge these people. Take all the sharp edges off the gospel. Just like, give it to them, Paul. But what happens... When Paul turns his sights on you. Because that's, that's what he's doing today. He's sitting there going, oh, hold on now, me and God got a deal. I mean, I may not be very religious, but I'm spiritual. You ever heard that? I mean, me and God's got a deal. Maybe I'm a churchgoer, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm a giver, maybe I'm not. I vote, maybe I don't. I prayed that prayer when I was six and got baptized. I even went to that class. I didn't understand why they made me take. And, and if I come to church and they have communion, we take communion every week here. I always, we all, I always take it. I mean, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And so I'm good, aren't I? Paul says, well and good, but you still need the gospel. Why? Because it is a dangerous thing to believe that you can embrace something, anything, some kind of prescribed requirements, some kind of agreed-on belief system that has do's and don'ts, but yet have never have been experienced anything and never have been changed from the inside. And so we just added on religion to religion to other things that we find helpful in our life. The prophet told Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That's the issue. You see, Paul is seeking to identify, to uncover a type of counterfeit Christianity or counterfeit religiosity that is only skin deep. And Paul's methodology, and you really got to understand this to understand these first really three chapters, Paul's methodology to do that. Is to, is to expose everyone's unrighteousness. Not just one group of people. He's going to put everybody 
under the bus. Everybody in the net. And then he's going to offer the only thing that which is inside of you cannot fix the problem. Your life has proven that over and over, and so is mine. What the answer is outside of us, but the answer that is outside of us comes within us and transforms us from the inside out. And if that has not happened, you are not born again. And so he's getting leaning into the Gentiles, the pagans' life, and today he's leaning into the religious life, but he's ironing out that principle. Judgment is coming, and one of the bases for the judgment is the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. So let's see it. Let's see it within the life of the Jewish people, the privileges of the Jews. Look at verse 17. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law. So let's just... We're going to jump around a little bit. I want to put this under three categories just to make it simple. That if you were a Jew, these privileges would be huge. The first privilege is the law. The law was a huge privilege. And here's what we're saying. We're Jewish people. We have been given the law and we, we rely on it for our life. It's a privilege. It's a, it's a boasting. Nothing wrong with that. Turn with me to Psalms 19. Psalms 19. Verse 7. Psalms 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Who was at Mount Sinai? The Jewish people. God gave them the law. They were proud of that. There's nothing wrong with that. It was through Moses that they received this. And then what happened is, is God gave people, be it God selected leaders and kings and chroniclers and prophets. He gave them a revelation, a special revelation. 2 Peter 1.21, speaking of this, says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Reliance is a good thing, but reliance becomes a bad thing when you think you can put God in your debt. When you think you can say, if I do this, he must do that. This is the heresy of the prosperity gospel. That we can bind God up with our mouths and with our words the only reason you have any words to say is because God keeps your brain together. When privilege becomes entitlement, it becomes dangerously destructive. When privileges become an entitlement, something you feel like that God owes you, it becomes destructive in your life and in society. 
Our society is being destroyed with the lie of privilege. You don't want to get what you deserve. We need God's mercy. This is what reliance can turn on us. They relied on the law, not only in a healthy way, but in an unhealthy way. They used it as a means to their own ends. Just so they can have, and this is what's going on here. You hadn't grabbed a hold of it. You need to. The Jewish people felt themselves nationally secure because they were, in fact, Jews. They're the ones that had the law. They were in possession of it. I carry a Bible in my car, so I am secure. I'm assured. It's dangerous. Because they had the law then, it flows naturally that they knew God's will and His moral standards. That's what He's saying. That's what He's telling them. He reminded them of the privilege in verse 18. You know His will. You approve what is excellent. You have been instructed from the law. How are they instructed? How do they know God's will? How do we know God's standard? Because they have God's word. Turn with me to Exodus 20. What's in Exodus 20? Ten Commandments. I need to know that. I'm not going to read all of them, but I do want you to see them. Because those first two commandments, I want to talk about them. He's going to use them in just a minute. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of God. And so he he goes on to give commandments that relate to the people of God and God himself. And then when when he turns, he begins to get into people's relationship with each other. Honor your parents and don't steal. Don't commit adultery. The summation of the whole law is here. Love God and love others. And in Israel's history, the elders, this is important, the prototype of elders, while we are elder-led here. In the Old Testament, elders were responsible for making sure God's people understood the law. November, uh, November, that's funny. Uh, I got these, I got too many announcements to do at the end of the service, by the way, and it just aggravates me when that happens, and so I got to get that out of my head, so now it's out. Numbers. You tell, I tell you I'm a simple-minded man. Numbers 11. Numbers 11. Talking about how were the people instructed. Okay, they had the law, but how were they instructed? Numbers 11 verse 16 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them there stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. That's the principle, by the way, of eldership. Starts in the Old Testament, goes into the New, 
into our church today. This is how we instruct people. This is why it's important to have elders that are among the people, elders that are part of the vision and purpose of the church, elders that know what small groups are about and knows how to help people apply God's Word into their life. But not only that, the Jewish people had the synagogues, that they would go to the synagogues and they would be instructed. They had parents that instructed them. Remember what? Paul reminded Timothy, from your youth you've been instructed in these things. They had all of that. They knew it. They were proud of it. It was a a privilege, by the way, to have parents that teach you the way that you should go. Amen? It's a privilege for you to have the truth, to be able to use it to teach your children. All of the dietary laws and the lifestyle restrictions they had and all the worship instructions, the Jewish people viewed it as superior because God gave it to them. And by the way, so did Paul. And Paul would say in Galatians 1.14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He was a, he was a proud Jewish person who pursued all of these things. I love this quote. It says, Moses had more wisdom than Plato. Jeremiah knew more truth than Aristotle. Amos understood righteousness far better than Socrates. This was not because these men had better minds or were by nature more acute thinkers. It was because by the grace of God, they had received revealed truth. God himself had written on those tablets of stone and had revealed from heaven what authentic wisdom was. Quite a privilege. Quite a privilege. The Jews had the law, but they also had the covenant. You cannot understand, by the way, the gospel if you don't understand the law and the covenant. You're just, you're just, you're just skimming the surface until you understand these things. That's why the Old Testament is just so rich We have to understand the Jewish people had the privilege of the covenant. But if you call yourself a Jew, verse 17, and rely on the law and boast in God. What they mean by boasting in God is they are boasting in their special relationship with God that they had that nobody else in the world had access to. Only them. Just a few people that God brought in. They were the ones that had received the covenant. This boasting is not bad. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, Let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. That's where it can go south on us, isn't it? Boasting, even in our Christianity, even in our knowledge, even in who we are in Christ, can go south on us when we begin to believe God is mine and not yours, and you can't have them. And though we do not state that with my mouth, we state it with our lives. How we live declares who our Father is. Israel's God was their Father. They did not worship some idol made of wood or stone, and they were proud of this. And Isaiah 64 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are the work of your hands. That's a proper view of God, by the way. 
We have a relationship with God that no one else in the world has. Why could they, how could they say such an arrogant thing? Because they tracked themselves back to Abraham. Because it was God himself that chose Abraham as an idol-worshiping pagan. And he set a promise on him and told him that through him the seed was going to come. And through him a light to the nations was going to come. Gave him a promise. It's Genesis chapter 12. To Abram said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will dishonor you those who, and put a curse on those who dishonor you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so it's absolutely true. That the Jewish people had this privilege. We have entered, God has entered into a covenant with us. We have a special relationship that they enjoyed. And if you struggle with that, just go to Jesus when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. You remember that conversation? By the way, he led her to Christ and many in the village in Samaria. Remember? But what did he say to her when she was trying to change the subject about where should we worship? Where's the best place to go to church? And Jesus said, Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. You see that? That's quite a privilege to be able to say that. So the logic flows then until Pentecost and the church's inauguration dawned a new day. Salvation came by the door of the Jews. And when Jesus came, he changed everything. It was Jesus who said, I am the door of the sheep. And it was Jesus who put on Jewish humanity flesh and fulfilled the law perfectly and lived that perfect life and he fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant and he fulfilled the Davidic covenant by being the seed that brought blessing, hope and salvation to do what the Jews could never do. You see, this light brings responsibility even what I just said. It brings responsibility. The Jews had the privilege of the law. They had the privilege of the covenant. They also had the privilege of circumcision. Now this is next week. But I had to go ahead and just show it to you here in the text. And then we'll come back to it again next week. They had the privilege of circumcision. Now, I know it don't sound like much of a privilege to you, to me either. But this is the point. And you can see it in verse 17. It was an identity thing. You call yourself a Jew. Now, he's going to work that out as the chapter unfolds. You call yourself a Jew. It was their identity. It was their national pride that they were Jewish. It set them off. And they were. Zechariah 2.8 says that the Jewish people are the apple of God's eye. So, Paul, lighten up, brother. Right? <laughs> lighten up, dude. I mean, these Jewish people, man, they've got the law. They, they got the covenants. Remember that Paul is a Jew. He, there's nobody who loved the Jews more than Paul. He loved them. 
And matter of fact, he knew them because he used to be that self-righteous religious person on their way to hell. So he knew how they were thinking. He knew their strengths. He knew their weaknesses. He knew how to say what they were going to say. And what he's trying to get them to understand that this privilege that doesn't produce faith-filled obedience is pointless. It is useless. You can go to hell with all your scripture memory intact because it has never took root in the heart. With this light comes responsibility. So what was the responsibility then of the Jews? How did they fail that responsibility? Because that's what he's getting at. There's a hint of sarcasm here. You see, first, he talks about them teaching others. Listen, they thought they were good teachers. They did. That's what he's saying. Let me just put this all together. Let's, look at, let's read verse 17 to 20, just so we can put the whole thought together. He says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. They had transcendent truth, the wisdom of God given to them, and so they felt confident. Absolutely, we're the best teachers on the block. We can guide those blind people. They need guiding. We can instruct those who are immature, those who just don't know. Why? Because we have knowledge and truth embodied God's revelation given to us. And so they did. And there's nothing that can bring light into this confusion of this murky religiosity and spirituality either even in our day than Christianity can. He's saying, you you do. You should have been a guide to the blind. And by the way, it's sort of redundant. If you're blind and someone guides you, then they they are helping you, guide you in the way that you can go because you are in darkness and they are in light. It's a practical picture of what that should have looked like. You should have been able to teach your children those who are, and those who are ignorant, those who did not know. So how can we then say that they failed in this? They failed because they failed in their mission. Their mission has been absolutely clear. The Great Commission is not the first time the Great Commission has been given. It was the point from the word go when God entered into a covenant with His people. So many passages. Uh, I think I had Isaiah 49 in in your notes, but Isaiah 42 I think is even clearer because Jesus pointed this too. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. Let me just read it to you. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons and from the prisons of those who sit in darkness. 
The Old Testament law was supposed to be a beacon of justice in an unjust world. There peak God's people, that city on a hill. And they failed it because they failed to live out of what they said they understood. They failed to live out of what they said they understood. Look at verse 21 and 22. You can see it. And what he's doing here is sort of like he's having a a conversation with a teacher of that day. He says, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You see, this is just the truth. And all of us know this. People learn by catching something, not just listening to something. The truth is not just taught. It must be caught. And if you are not both teaching something, but exampling in it with your lives, you are not biblically teaching. You can find yourself listening to lectures and sermons your whole life, but not having anybody to say, this is what it means about that. And I'm going to hold you accountable and we're going to walk this thing together. If you've never experienced that, that's what he's talking about. You should have done that. Because people have to know what it looks like. I mean, you don't even know how to change a tire unless someone else has showed you how to change a tire. How many things have we went to, dudes? We didn't know how to do it, and some ladies, y'all did it too. I don't know what your thing is that you needed to know, you didn't know. What'd you do? We go on YouTube University. And what do we do? We watch it. And then we what? We do it. And sometimes we have to watch it, watch it, watch it to do it. And then we watch it, and then we go to do it, and we have to go watch it again. Thank God for our iPads. I've taken, I've taken mine out to my shop before and said... Mm. Hit that again, watch it again. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. Not through standing behind some pulpit or going to some synagogue with a religious man who tells you something that he does not practice himself. This is life-on-life discipleship, and it is an imperative in our life. It is essential for your life that someone be speaking into it, and it is essential in your life that someone speaks into you. This is the way it works. And if we're not doing this, something's wrong. This may be one of the most important things that I say today. The Jews are being indicted not only for what they are not teaching, And not only for what they are not exampling, but that they are not internalizing the message of God in their own lives and then teaching from the overflow of that knowledge. You hear me? Listen, you got to think about this for a second. Because you might think that the the godly or an effective teacher or a preacher or a parent or whatever is is someone who is is the most articulate or has the most education or has that. That's not true. The most effective person that's impacted your life is the person who takes God's Word into them, allows it to rearrange their internal furniture spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, and then stands up and teaches you out of the overflow of that. 
And until they have, they are dangerous. They are dangerous to follow when someone has not internalized the message they proclaim. And if you're doing that, you're dangerous. Because listen, AI may can write a good sermon, but it can't do that. It can't internalize the Word of God. Have it change them. And then stand up, on, stand up here on Sunday and says, Thus saith the Lord. Because it humbles you. The closer you get to light, the more darkness you see in yourself. And the more you can be changed. You see, this is not just about blaming it on humanity. Because when we blame our issues on our humanity, we are just hypocrites. And we're seen as one. It's, it's hypocrisy. It's not humanity. You can't just say, I'm a man first, or I'm a woman first, or I'm a businessman first, or I'm a teenager. What can I do? And to prove this, he goes back to the Ten Commandments. He'll remember, they had the privilege of that, right? They knew those. He'd quote them just like we could, probably. And notice what they says in verse 21. He says, you who preach against stealing... Do you steal? Now, his point here, and I know there's, there's some of us that are very literal. His point here is not to be literal. If, if you take this literal, you're going to worry about how are they stealing things and idols and temples. That's not his point. It's not his point at all. He's, he's pointing to something deeper. That's the issue with inside of these, the Jewish people and, and the religious leaders of that day specifically. He says, are you stealing? Though you say stealing is wrong. How can we steal? We steal when we fail to worship God as the way He's told us to be worshipped. We steal from our employer when we don't give them our best. When we overextend our coffee breaks and punch in late and clock out early. We're thieves when we do that. We steal when we waste the company's resources and use, use our own and do our own personal stuff on company time. We are stealing when we do that. We steal as employers when we don't provide a safe working environment and pay people the wage that their skill set is due. We steal from them when we do that. We steal when we borrow and do not return. We steal from ourselves when we waste our talents, time, and resources sitting on a couch as the years go by. That's what he's saying. You can preach something and everything in life and all of the people who watch us on a day-to-day basis say, hmm, looks like a thief to me. Saying, you hold to the Eighth Commandment, but do you live it? Then he goes to the Seventh Commandment. He gets into adultery. Oh, this gets personal, don't it? Verse 22 says, you say that that we shouldn't commit adultery, but are you committing adultery? He answers this charge, and you you can't get here without thinking about what Jesus says. But here's what he's getting at. Do we say, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. Praise the Lord. But every time, what is the issue of the the secret sin of our day if it's not sexual immorality? Of Of the national figures, both religious and pagan alike, underneath the table of their lives, they are doing things that they know is wrong, and they stand up and declare it's wrong, and they practice it anyway. He said, there's a superficial type of religion that will send you straight to hell. And he loves people enough to say it. 
It is, the, it is the issue of the heart. That's what Jesus said. He said, lust is adultery. Hate is murder. What was he getting at? What's going on in here? When you see somebody that's not like you. What's going on in here is the difference. When trouble comes, when conflict comes, when problems in your marriage comes, what's going on in here? Because that's the issue that has to be dealt with. He goes on to the first and second commandment. He said, you abhor idols, but do you rob temples? Now again, it's not the point of of sitting around and talking about how could they rob temples. The point is that they have things in their life that means they are breaking the first and second commandment. To worship any god but the biblical god is to break this commandment. They understand that. But whenever we give anything ultimate first place in our life, whether it's a person or whether it's stuff, we are, we are giving to somebody else or to something else something that only belongs to God. We break it when we give some person an object or worldly desire first place in our lives. Oftentimes the God in our life is our Selves. John Stott says that worship is to see all things from God's point of view and to do nothing without reference to Him, to make His will our guide and His glory our goal, to put Him first in thought, word, and deed, in business and in leisure, in friendships and career, in the use of our money, time, and talents at work and at home. And listen, I would say this, and and I'm not alone in this concern as a pastor. I am concerned about the health of the church in this post-COVID situation. I am concerned. Why am I concerned? Because we have redefined faithfulness. We have lost what faithfulness is. And we, listen, we are hypocritical in this because there is nowhere else in the world that your faithfulness to the church equates to faithfulness in anything else in your life. If you were as faithful to the anywhere else in your life as you are the church, how many businesses would go under and how many marriages would fail and how many of us would die of bad health? We don't believe that for a second. But listen, to redefine faithfulness as gathering for worship one or two times a month is stealing from God the worship that He deserves from His church. That's the truth, brothers and sisters. And listen, you can simply Google it online and see that it is a pattern within the church now that people have redefined faithfulness that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and worship God once or twice every once in a while and God's okay with that. And I'm here to say, according to God's Word, He is not okay with that because we have been baptized not only into Christ, we have been baptized into His church into a group of people who desperately need each other. This life's hard. It's hard. Haven't you struggled with things over the last couple weeks? I have. And when God loves me, He sends me someone of His children with skin on. We cannot live in isolation and think we're in God's will. There's a principle here. People always look like they're God. People always look like they're God. Big G, little G. Hey, listen, just study history. 
Did not the Greeks look like their God? Did not the Romans look like their God? And does like our United States of America not look like it's God? 2 Timothy 3 says, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self and lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen in conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What Paul is saying in love is the Jewish people, you are those people. So he brings all of this to a sharp point. In verse 23 and verse 24, he says, You boast in the law when you break, the, but dishonor God when you break, break the law. You can boast in it, but what happens when you break it is something that calls dishonor. Dishonor. Just the opposite of glory. Verse 24 says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The issue here is the name. The name. And the accusation is kingdom blasphemy. Just listen to this. Ezekiel 36, 20. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of the land. Because I had concern for my holy name. Which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Do you see the point? God called these people to live in the, amongst the nations. To be a light from the nations. Instead, they lived among the nations and blasphemed God's name among the nations. And then God had to punish them. And they said, they're followers of Yahweh. They're in captivity. They're slaves. They were just idol worshiping people. I worshiped the, I worshiped the idol right beside of him. We went to the same temple sacrifices. That's what he's getting at here. And listen, the issue of the day that I talk about, I had this conversation Friday, was church hurt. I can't get away from it. Every person that is disenfranchised from a church will throw this up. And listen, I know sometimes it's got a lot of themselves in it, but there's also truth in it. The church ought to be a place of healing and wholeness. Brothers and sisters, it is not simply what we sign on the line here within this church that matters. It matters infinitely what we do when we leave this place. So what? Well, just quickly, because I'm out of time this morning, I want to give you four failures that we dare not repeat. Just grabbing some of the truth out of the text. That I saw some application. First failure is resist circling the wagons. What is circling the wagons? Well, if you live in Kings Mountain, you know what circling the wagons is. Circling the wagons is when it's me and mine, us four and no more. We quit looking out. We quit inviting anybody to the wedding feast. The wholesale failure of the Jewish people was that they pulled into Jewish culture and never go to the nations as Christ did. They never went to the nations as Paul did. 
Why? Because they were too comfortable hanging around other Jews that believed like them, looked like them, acted like them, and they lost their mission if, in fact, they ever had it to start with. And how about us? Have you forgotten that you've been saved to be a light to your neighbors and to the nations? That's why you are here. That's how we glorify God. Failure to resist being self-deceived. It is possible to believe something about yourself or about your situation and not be true. The answer question is clear. If I'm self-deceived, how do I know it? Right? All those, those blind spots. The answer is simple. You live in biblical community. That's what you do about it. And if you don't, you're just saying, I, I realize I have blind spots or I, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty good when nobody ever checks you up, you know. A person's always doing, doing their best at work when nobody ever evaluates them. <laughs> but don't be self-deceived. Beware of the inconsistency between your profession and your practice. When we love Jesus, yet we neglect, starve, and fail to prioritize his bride. This is hypocrisy. When we believe the Great Commission, but can't name one people, one person we are helping to follow Jesus, this is hypocrisy. When we believe that salvation is by grace alone, but don't intentionally put ourselves in the pathway of the lost and broken, this is hypocrisy. When we resist, the way we resist hypocrisy is not perfection, it is authenticity. Just be honest. I mean, if someone walks up to me and says, man, how's that, how's that cancer fight going? I'm just going to tell you. Don't ask me if you don't want to know. Because <laughs> it's not always going good. Not in my life and not in yours. And nobody expects it to be. What they expect you to be is authentic about where you are. And ask them to join you, to help you, to be a part of it with you. Be aware when you have abandoned one's mission. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is one great need, and I can't say it better than William Barclay. He says, if you have been trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ, his death upon the cross in your place, throw whatever it is completely out of your mind, abandon it, stamp on it, grind it to dust, dust off the place where it lay, then turn to Jesus Christ alone and trust him alone. That's our one great need. Our one great need is to, is to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to entrust Him. Whether we have a good day or a bad day, no matter what situation we are in, not what, whoever puts, God puts in our path, we must orient our lives around His glory so that we may accomplish His mission. To this we have been called. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank You. That you love us enough to point us to the truth. And then tell us, as children, if, if you have revealed sin in our life as children, that we can confess and that you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, even where we stand. We don't need a priest, God, because we have direct access to you 
and our very prayers at this point. As we pray, we pray in the name of your Son because it is Him who gives us access to you, God. We don't deserve it outside of Christ, outside of your Son. And so now, Lord, our God and our Creator, we are the clay and you are the potter and that you are our Father and we thank you for that truth. And we do ask you, Lord, to forgive us for the inconsistencies in our life. But we want to be honest with you about what they are. So, God, we put those things by name. We put the fear by name in front of you and ask you to forgive us. We put the laziness by name in front of you and ask you to forgive us. We put the discouragement and the depression and the anxiety and whatever that is, God. You let us name them by name. We put them before you. We ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us and that we be renewed today as we worship you. We come to the tables, God, not hiding our sin, but having confessed our sin. We come to the tables to be reminded of the one who bled and died and rose and ascended and coming again. We remind ourselves of his work and his promise to his church when we come to the table. And so, Lord, let us be blessed in our giving, in our generosity. Let us rejoice. In our worship, let us rejoice. In our communion with, with you and the saints, let us rejoice. And in our going, let us rejoice. Now and forever, will you be glorified in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let us worship and respond.